0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good evening. So, Father, as David prayed, we ask that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law, out of your word. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. There were some fighter jets that had to be moved from the eastern seaboard across the Atlantic to Europe. And though they can travel at great speed, they don't have enough fuel in their tanks to make it all the way across. So they they put them in formation behind a C-130, which is a fueling tanker, so that somewhere in the flight they could refuel. Except that one of the jet pilots decided somewhere a couple hours into this multi-hour flight to pull up ahead and do a few barrel rolls straight up into the sky, nosedive, just a lot of aerodynamic stuff that only these jet fighters could do. And then as he pulls up right in front of the C-130, he crackles on the radio. Hey, C-130, can you do that? response. That was awesome. Could you do it again in a couple of minutes? I want my co-pilot to see it. He's in the back getting our T-bone steaks out of the oven. <laughs> you know, sometimes we set these plans up. This fighter pilot, he had a plan. I'm going to embarrass this guy. I'm going to show him how great I am and how not so great he is. And the plan backfired, didn't it? He started to realize, <laughs> All I got is this little Snickers bar. (laughs) Have I ever had my plans blow apart? Here I am serving the Lord. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to maintain the right relationships. I'm trying, you know, I just, I'm trying. But then someday, out of the blue, a big truck that I don't see knocks my plans into the ground. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I say something and I say, oh, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Or or perhaps I've done something and I go, oh, jeez, I shouldn't have. I did the wrong thing. Maybe I even get rebuked. You know, you shouldn't have done that. That's, you know, I'm married, so I'm used to that. <laughs> The question is how I respond. What happens when I get rebuked? Matthew chapter 16 is a story of plans gone awry and how to set them right. Peter will have a plan that will be completely different than the Lord Jesus Christ's. And he will try to convince the Lord that his plan is right and the Lord's plan is wrong. Not that we would do anything like that, but Peter did. Because Peter's plan didn't line up with God's plan. Or at least, as Peter saw it, God's plan didn't line up with Peter's plan. And so Peter is trying to convince the Lord, I know what's best. So this is a story of What do I do when that's not how I planned it? We'll be looking at only three verses. Verse 21 would be the revelation of God's plan. Verse 22 is going to be the response from man's plan. And verse 23 will be the rebuke. Of the now, first of all, chapter 16 is one of the turning points in Matthew. Matthew has a few turning points. It opens up with the kingdom being presented, and then you come a little bit further, and there's a whole chapter on parables where Jesus quits talking to the crowds, and now he's trying to hide the mysteries from the people and show the disciples. Now, as we come to chapter 16, Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem to be crucified, and he's trying to explain exactly what's going to happen next. Well, in verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Well, this is not what Peter was expecting. You see, just a few moments earlier, the apostle Peter had had made a confession. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're the prophet, and and, and some think you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Well, who do you say that I am? Peter. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven... And upon the rock of this confession of faith in me as the as the Messiah, I will build my church. Now of course the word church is Ecclesia. We think of church today, two thousand years later, as church, this is church. But Peter heard Ecclesia as I will build my assembly, those who believe in me as the Messiah. So, geez, Jesus, man, this is cool. We're going to Jerusalem. It's Passover. You're the Messiah. You've, you've admitted it. You're going you're gonna to tell everybody the Messiah has come. You're going to set up the kingdom. You're going to build your assembly. And we get to sit on thrones too. This is good stuff. Right, Jesus? So he's really excited. And then Jesus goes and says this. This makes no sense. What's he talking about? Death. What's he talking about? Rejection. This isn't the way I'm planning it, Lord. Has that ever happened to you? You got it all figured out. You got it all You're going to get this education. You're going to get that job. You're going to get this boyfriend or this girlfriend or this husband, this wife, this paycheck. It's all going to work out. But somewhere along the line... God let it fall apart. You say, man, this isn't the way I planned it. Peter had a false expectation because he wasn't looking at God's word or God's nature. See, God's word is very specific. Jesus has said, I am going to go and these things are going to happen. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 22, the crucifixion is described in graphic detail. They pierced my hands and my feet. I looked down upon my bones and I can see them. For my garments, they gambled. They cast lots. Isaiah 53 again describes how they would mock him. How they would beat him so badly that he would not even look like a man. And how God would reject them and the wrath of God would be poured upon him. This is not something new. And Jesus is being very, very clear. He said, I am going to be crucified. He has said in other places, I am coming to give my life as a ransom for many. This is not something new. But Peter, he wasn't hearing God's word. He wasn't paying attention to God's word because it's not what Peter wanted. Do I do that? Do I take portions of the scripture that I really don't like and just kind of... (laughs) Yes, be not unequally yoked. But Lord, I'm evangelistically dating. (laughs) I am supposed to be honest in, in everything I do with business, but you know, Lord, if I really reveal this to them, I might not make the profit. So I'm not lying because I'm not telling him it's not true. I'm just not saying it at all, you know. I mean, after all, Lord, making a buck is what it's all about. He's not paying attention to Jesus' words. And so he's missing what Jesus is saying. But he's also not paying attention to God's nature. He expects God to work things out on his own timetable. Peter wants God's plan to work out for Peter. I get a throne too. But God's nature, we have to trust God's nature. Jesus said, which of you fathers being evil, if your son would say, may I have a piece of bread, would you give him a rock to chew on? Which of you fathers, if your son said, can I have a piece of fish, would you give him a poisonous serpent? And if you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you. Why do you take anxious thought for tomorrow? Worrying, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I put on? Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet one doesn't fall to the ground that your father doesn't know it. The very hairs on your head are numbered. Be of good cheer. It's your father's desire to give you the kingdom. God's nature is to love, is to bless, is to nurture, is to build up because he has loved you with an everlasting love. And yet Peter isn't seeing this. Peter is thinking, Jesus is doing something in a way I don't want it done. Peter wants his plan, his way, not the Lord's plan, the Lord's way. His problem is he's ignoring certain parts of the scripture. He's ignoring the words of Jesus and he's doubting the nature of God. The very temptation Satan used on Adam and Eve. Did God actually say? Can you really trust that that's what's going to happen? This is now happening to Peter. He's not thinking according to God's word. You know, sometimes it's very plain. It was Will Rogers who said, You know, it's not the things about God's word that I don't understand that bother me. What bothers me is the parts I do understand that I'm not doing. God's word was very plain. And yet Peter was just kind of not dealing with that stuff over there because it it would cramp my style. I don't want to cramp my style. God's nature is very plain. Sometimes God's word isn't exact in a situation. But you know, his nature is. God loves you. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And how much more that we know Him won't He freely give us all things? God desires to be merciful. God desires to bless His children. God desires to bring you into His kingdom with joy. I need to learn to trust His Word, but when it's not specific, at least trust His nature. Here's the test. When my world falls apart and my plans just crumble to the ground, I have to ask myself, am I believing God for who He is or am, am I believing God for something? I'm believing God for a new car. I'm believing God for a bigger job or a bigger paycheck or a bigger house. I'm believing God for, and I fill in the blank. If I ever say I'm believing God for something, now I'm asking God to be my servant instead of me saying, I just believe God. And like Job, even when my world falls apart, I don't say I'm believing him for health. I say, though he slay me, yet will I still praise him. So the test is when my world falls apart and I start to say, "Wait a minute, this isn't the way I planned it, Lord. Am I believing in God because of who he is or am I believing in God for something?" I have to ask myself that question. Of course in this verse he said, "I must go." Jerusalem. That word must is very strong. The way they word the Greek, it basically means this is not open for discussion. We're not going to debate it. It has nothing to do with anybody's opinion. I must do four things. I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer. I must be killed. I must be raised again. Jesus said he had to go to Jerusalem for no prophet should die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where the temple was. Jerusalem was where the Passover sacrifice was about to be offered. Jesus needed to be there for the Passover. He said he must suffer and be rejected because the stone that the builders rejected will be the chief cornerstone, and he must be killed. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. But he said he must be raised again. Peter didn't hear that part. Peter didn't hear, oh yeah, he's going to get back up out of the grave. All he heard was, what do you mean we're not setting up the kingdom right now? What do you mean you're not going to do it the way I planned it? What's going on here, Lord? Jesus' plan was different than Peter's plan. Peter wanted the kingdom today. Peter wanted the blessing now. Peter wanted the throne to sit on. Jesus says, no, we're going to the cross. How about my plans? Has anybody planned something out really well? Job, car, education, relationship. And everything seems to be going all right until somehow the Lord just gets in there and just stirs the mix up and then everything just crumbled. Does anybody have anybody anybody out here? And then I start trying to convince the Lord. You know something, God, if you would listen to me. (laughs) Because I know what's best, and I think you missed a detail over here. Let me tell you, oh omniscient one, (laughs) what really needs to happen. So here's Peter getting ready to tell Jesus what really needs to happen. Has verse 21 ever caught you off guard? Have you ever said, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand how this is going to work out. I don't understand how we're going to be able to do this. I was trying to live for you. I was trying to be godly. I was trying to do your stuff. But, but look at my life. It's fallen apart. My life is derailed. We get tempted to ask why. Why did this happen? Why did this tragedy occur? And I bet if you did a poll out here, there are some people who have gone through some horrible things. Untimely deaths. Health issues. Perhaps they lost everything because of some type of financial setback. It's not the way they planned it. I bet if you were to take a poll, there might be some people sitting here saying, you know, when I was younger, I dreamed of being this, but here I am later, and this isn't the way I planned it. Well, I get pretty good acting on the outside, but inside I always wonder, are they going to find out who I really am? Are they going to find out? Because this isn't the way I planned it. Does he catch me off guard? Do I argue with the Lord? He must go to Jerusalem. But that's not the way I planned it. So Peter's response comes in verse 22. The revelation is I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed. Peter responds, verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. This is actually rebellion. God forbid, Lord. Have you heard of an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp? Rock music? Rap music? I looked at my son when I said that. No, Lord. Now Jesus is into giving retests. You know what a retest is? That's when I mess up, Jesus lets me do it all over again. <laughs> Has anybody had to do a makeup exam? Okay. So here, here's this here's this exam here. Peter's gonna fail this one. Now we're gonna move forward just for some fun into a different portion of scripture. You don't turn your turn there. It's in Acts chapter ten. Peter's hungry. He's on the roof of a house in Joppa, and he's praying, and lunch isn't ready yet, and he falls into a trance, and God usually meets us where we are, so he he lowers a sheet by four corners, and he opens it up in front of Peter's in this vision, and in this thing, it's got all these unclean animals, you know, like pigs for your BLT sandwiches and, and, and other type stuff, and, and and Jesus says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. Oh, not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever passed my lips. I like Peter. I, you know, I, I relate to him because if God can keep using Peter, I have some kind of hope here. Because I, I look at this and say, "Man, it, it, you guys know." Listen, I heard somebody clap. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You're saying, "Yeah, yeah, you use Balaam too." Here I am. I got it. Well, at least Balaam's donkey. I'm, you know, not so Lord. And then he explains to the Lord why the Lord's plan is wrong. I can't eat that food, Lord. It's unclean. Don't you know that? (laughs) Surprise. You can't go be crucified, Lord. Don't you understand? I need my throne there in Jerusalem right next to you. What's wrong with you, Jesus? He's rebuking the Lord. This is rebellion. I, I think of another person. Remember Jonah? God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah, he's in there saying, <laughs> you're going to be destroyed. And then he goes outside the city and he's just sitting down. He just, but nothing's happening. And God brings this gourd up and it grows and it gives him shade. And then God kills the gourd, you know, brings a worm, eats the root gourd. And Jonah's, God's saying, is it okay to be angry, Jonah? Yeah. I'm so angry. I'm so, I should die. <laughs> Have you ever been angry with the Lord? Just kill me, Lord. Just end it. Actually, we don't say kill me. We usually, you know, because we're good Christians, we say, Lord, just bring the rapture. Yeah. Because we don't want to pray for death, because that's wrong. But we'll pray for the rapture. I remember my my assistant, Kate Lynch, who was getting married, and I said, you know, when you say, when God, when they pronounce, your husband and wife says, you may kiss the bride, that's when the rapture's going to happen. Um... I said, all the way up, you can go like this. (laughs) It didn't happen. But at any rate, well, my daughter's not married yet, so there's still hope. Okay, so at any rate. So here's this test. Peter is failing the test. Not so, Lord. He's throwing a temper tantrum. He's rebuking Jesus. Have you ever rebuked Jesus? Now, of course we don't. We don't rebuke Jesus. We don't do that. We just take our ball and go home. I'm just not going to talk to you right now. I'm just so mad at this whole thing, the way you're treating me, you just you know, I'm not even going to read your Bible tonight. That'll teach you. Come on, you know, I'm not going to pray or anything. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to church tomorrow. I'm going to watch football. What are you going to do? Oh, Jesus is so patient. He puts up with our tantrums. You know, we rebel and we have a hard time obeying him when his plans go different than our plans. Have you noticed that? It's easy to obey him when everything's going right. I'd praise the Lord if I found the winning lotto ticket, you know? I mean that's oh wow, Lord, you're just so good. But what happens when I get that extra bill I didn't expect because the car got a flat tire and I can't afford it. Am I praising the Lord? Am I saying, I'm just not going to read your Bible tonight. I'll teach you. Mess with me. <laughs> he began to rebuke him. Now, this is interesting because it's in the present tense. It's not just he said, no, Lord. It's, he's continuing this. He's, no, no, no. You're wrong, wrong, wrong. This is an honest... Began to rebuke him. And it said that he, he, he took him aside. Now, this is also a very strong Greek word. It means he took as if he had the right. Picture this. If my kids were in a public school and I wanted to go take them out of school, I had the right to go take them out of class because, you know, my name's on a piece of paper. But somebody else can't go take my kid out. They don't have the right. Make sense? This word here is... Peter had the right to take Jesus by the hand, pull him off to the side and say, you're wrong. And it's really, really strong. This isn't just a, I don't think so, Jesus. He's in his face. He's up there. Have you ever watched a football game where a coach, you know, or a baseball game where, where, you know, the coach is up there on the empire? That's what Peter's doing to Jesus. This is not a good thing. So Peter's rebuking Jesus. Oh, the patience of Jesus! You know, can you just imagine? You know, I'd be I, I thinking something like sore throat. <laughs> Peter's like, <"My> <laughs> but Jesus is patient. Jesus puts up with our temper tantrums, doesn't he? He still loves them. He's still there. He's still waiting for them. Have I ever protested and argued? That gotten in Jesus' face. You don't understand. If this relationship doesn't work out, I mean, he's so hot, she's so hot, Lord. Hot just I, maybe the rapture. I don't know. I just and, and so I'm, I'm I'm in his face, you know, and I'm just having a hard time with Jesus. But the question is, how should I respond when it's not how I planned it? Well, it's really one of the greatest tests to our Commitment to God. Am I going to rebel or submit? The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. Am I going to get bitter? Am I going to get better? Do I stay faithful or do I walk away? Remember when Daniel was taken captive to Babylon? There were hundreds of young men taken. And yet we only read that Daniel and his three friends, later named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself so we see daniel in the midst of the plans being messed up because daniel would have been a good looking guy because it said they took the good looking guys and it's he would have been from a well-to-do family because it said it took the guys from the well-to-do families so he takes this young good-looking guy that man i got money and position i'm doing great now i'm a captive but daniel says i'm not going to defile myself but you know there were hundreds who just faded into the shadows Which one am I? Am I going to rebel? Or am I going to submit? But then the question is, how do I know if it's God's plan? I mean, it could be God allowing this to happen in order to redirect me. Or it could be Satan trying to stop me. How do I know? And I said, well, God's, God's word is really specific on this. Because he talks to the unbeliever, the believer, and to the church. If you're here tonight and you're an unbeliever, I can tell you what God's plan is for you. Because it's really, really clear. God says that his ear's not deaf, that he can't hear you. His arm's not short, that he can't save you. But your sins have separated you from God. And that you're headed toward eternal damnation and the sufferings of fire and torment forever it's well I'm trying to be encouraged pastor that's not encouraging well it is encouraging I encourage you to get to know the Lord because his plan is that you would not perish but you would come to repentance if you don't know the Lord and you're here tonight you know what it's like when your head's on a pillow No one else is around. You're alone with your thoughts, and you're thinking, is there something that I'm missing? What do I need to really fulfill me? And you keep looking at something else and more of this and less of that, and and nothing happens because God's placed eternity in your heart, and until you have peace with God, you will never be at peace. And the only way to have peace with God is to surrender to Jesus Christ. If you hear his voice today, the Bible says, Harden not your heart. Today's the day of salvation. So if you're an unbeliever, real simple. Become a believer. Go to heaven instead of hell. (laughs) It's really a simple choice. It's not easy, but it's simple. For the believer, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Real simple. Is what I'm involved in somehow keeping that love from happening? How do I do that? I do it by worshiping God. By edifying one another. By evangelizing the lost. I worship Him in song. We sing and make melodies in our hearts to the Lord. In thought. The Bible says take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In word, let no profane communication proceed out of my mouth and in my deeds. For in everything I do, I do it as unto the Lord. But I also, in addition to worship, and to edify one another. And here's a real question. Am I plugged in somehow to the body of Christ where my gifts are being used? Or do I kind of feel dried out? I just... God says it's as you give that is given back, pressed down, shaking together, running over, overflowing. It's as you serve that you get the energy to serve. And we build one another up in the most holy faith. Are you personally plugged in? But lastly, there's evangelism. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill doesn't Disappear. It, it's not hidden. No one lights a candlestick and sets and, and puts it under a bushel. But they set it up on a candlestick. So it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify who? Your father in heaven. Am I evangelizing? But then for the church, corporately, it says, Love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. I think of Paul persecuting the church, then called Saul. And when Jesus showed up, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I look around at the church today. Not that I'm perfect. But I see denominations battling. I see people arguing over personal preferences. I see brothers and sisters who do not reconcile and forgive each other. And there are conflicts. Now the Bible says, when you bite and devour one another, take heed lest you be bitten and devoured one of another. And it concerns me. It concerns me that we criticize one another. And, and I'm not saying that you or you or you do it, but just that I see this out there, this, this, this backbiting, this, this attacking one group against another. Now, yes, we must stand for truth. And some things are true, and they mark historic Christianity, but some things are just preferences. Do I want to worship with a lot of music or do I want to worship with a choir? Who cares? Do I want to dance or do I want to sit down and not tap my feet? I was in a church like that one time. We were visiting a friend. I had such a tough time. We were sitting behind some people and the pastor was zinging some jokes. You know, my brother's there with me and we're just, we're giggling. You know, this, this, is pastor was good, but the congregation, I think there was something wrong. They were just... And, and they allowed babies in this congregation. I remember the the lady in front of me. Oh, they were wearing such beautiful clothes too. She lifted up the baby and she's going, and I looked at my brother and I said, the baby's going. And we looked and the baby went all over. And I said, I'm a prophet from God. Have you ever busted out laughing when you're not supposed to? We weren't welcome at that church anymore. But it was a preference thing. I prefer to laugh. They preferred to have people wearing really nice clothes and quiet. Okay. St. Augustine said it best. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. So how do I respond do I rebel or submit? Or do I argue or ask is the second. Remember Zacharias or Zacchaeus? Zacharias was, he's the father of John the Baptist. He's in the temple and the and the angel shows up and says, you're going to have a son. He says, am not Elizabeth's too old. <laughs> Why didn't you say I'm too old? Come on, blame it on your wife. It started with Adam, so it's okay. It's a woman you gave me. Yeah, we're no different ladies. We We just, it's just, Different century, same thing. And the angel says, fine. You can't talk until after the baby's born. <laughs> so do I argue or do I ask? Angel shows up with Mary and says, hey, you're going to give birth to the baby, Messiah. I actually, said, hail Mary, full of grace, blessed are you among women. Okay, but Mary, you're going to have a baby. She goes, how can this happen? I, you know, I'm, I'm a virgin. Um And and she's asking. And, of course, the angel says, Well, the power of the highest is going to overshadow you, and that which is born of you is going to be called the Son of God. Be it unto me according to the will of the Lord. So when, when the Lord comes up with a different plan, do I argue? Lord, how could this be? Why would you let this happen? Or I just say, Hey, Lord, whatever. Not my will but Thine. Be done. So do I rebel or do I submit? Do I argue or ask? Do I get passionate or peaceful? Peter's passionate. He loves the Lord. He says, don't do this. I rebuke you. It's not going to happen. Don't happen. And he is so passionate. And he's so sincere. But you know, you can be sincerely wrong. Now, in the 1960s, there was this guy called Timothy Leary. He coined a phrase called tune in, turn on, drop out. And it was the beginning of the LSD craze. How many many people remember any of this stuff? Yeah, I saw it on the History Channel. And uh, they... uh, And... No, I remember. I read it in Life magazine. It was an old one in a doctor's office or something. But but at any rate, there were many people under the influence of LSD who thought they could fly. They believed it so sincerely that they would jump off of different precipices. But you know, it didn't matter how sincere their belief was. The law of gravity was still the law of gravity, and sometimes it was tragic. Sometimes it was just a bruise and a cut. Other times it was a tombstone. Sincerity doesn't make it right. Passion doesn't make it right. Passions often get tied to our personal preferences. You know, I tend to be really passionate about certain things. I am passionate about a good piece of barbecued beef. I'm passionate. Especially if I've got sauteed mushrooms. You know, I just, that's passionate. Um, I'm passionate about a good hot fudge Sunday. You know, that's just... And I'm also passionate about working on the gym thing to get rid of what I did with that beef and stuff. But, but personal preferences turn into personal passions. And then I think that that's the way God has to do it or that's the way other people have to do it. And what's sad is in the body of Christ, we get people with different gifts. You got somebody with the gift of administration coming up to, against somebody with the gift of counseling. The administrator saying, well, you know, we just need to plug this thing in and get these people in and out. We've got to organize it and, and get it all set up. And the counselor is saying, no, we just have to love on them. you got someone with the gift of evangelism saying, we need to be out there in the street talking to people, bringing them to the Lord. And you've got somebody else who's, who's got a gift of service says, no, we just have to vacuum the church. And they start to get passionate. Start to say, well, you're just not of God, brother. Because if you're of God the way I'm of God. And this is Peter. He's saying, Lord, you're just not of God right now. (laughs) Talking about this crucifixion stuff. Where's my throne? We're going to set up the kingdom. So am I passionate or emotional? Do I rebel or do I submit? Do I argue or do I ask? Do I get passionate or do I get peaceful? And fourth is... Do I have boundaries or do I have compromise? You see, even though Peter loved Jesus, he misdefined love. And one of the problems with our society today is we define love as acceptance. We don't define love as boundaries. Well, if you love me, no boundaries. You know what? Love has boundaries. If I have a young child and I say, you're not allowed to play in the street. And that young child wants to play in the street. I'm going to say, well, you know, I don't want to hurt his feelings. (laughs) Well, that Ford Chevy or BMW is going to hurt his little head. If I don't deal with this thing and set boundaries, you want to play in the street? Fine. Get in the backyard. There's a fence. We set boundaries. We tell our young ladies what time they have to be home, where they're allowed to go, who they're allowed to see. Don't we? We said that love sets boundaries. But Peter is coming up with this, Lord, you can't have these boundaries. We just, I just love you, Lord. No hurt feelings. There shouldn't be pain. There's no suffering. Come on. Let's just set up a throne and go for it. And so Jesus... Now rebukes the responder. Jesus revealed the plan. It wasn't Peter's plan. So Peter rebukes the plan. Hey, hey, by the way, does anybody here ever rebuke Jesus within the last say month or so? You know, I know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't have to really reassure. Really, I just got a confession, but that's okay. It's. It's. But, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. You know, that's the strongest rebuke any disciple ever received. Calling him Satan? That's pretty bad. When the Lord looks at you and says, Satan, you know, we're not talking about some old person called Flip Wilson dressing up as a girl, say, could it be, you know, it's. Um, some of you got that. I saw that on the History Channel, too. It's, um... Do you young people? Ask them about Flip Wilson. You yeah. know. Well, who would said that? Some girl, wasn't it? Could it be? Huh? Huh? See, all you guys, you watch the History Channel, too? Okay. Got gotcha. you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I got gotcha. you. All right. Strongest rebuke ever given in Scripture right here, right now, because... Satan tried to tempt Jesus the same way Peter's now trying to tempt him. He's saying, you can have the crown, but you don't need the cross. Remember Satan saying, all these kingdoms are mine. They're all mine. I'll give them to you if you just bow down and worship me. You don't need to do it God's way. Take a shortcut. Do it my way and everything will be great. Like Satan's telling the truth. I find it interesting people write books about demons. Yeah, I was rebuking a demon and I asked this demon a question. He gave me an answer, and so I'm writing theology based on the demon's words. Okay. Lie, father of lies, deceitful spirits. It doesn't work for me. I'd rather listen to Jesus. Strong rebuke because now Peter is doing the same thing. Oh, Jesus, don't suffer. There's no reason to go through hard times, is there? I mean, this stuff about tribulation, building patience and patience, character and character hope, and hope not making a shame because the love of God shed a rod in our hearts, or counting it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations and trials, or Jesus learning obedience through the things he suffered. Just get rid of that stuff. I want to read the blessing verses. Hmm. You're an offense to me. Now that, that word is in the King James the stumbling block. It's 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 from the Greek scandalion. It means scandal. It is a scandal to say peace, peace when there is no peace. Remember that from the Old Testament? God is rebuking these prophets. He says they're false prophets. They're telling my people peace, peace when there is no peace, and, and judgment is coming, and the people aren't getting ready and repenting because they're just trying to these false prophets are just trying to make them comfortable in their sin. As a brother or sister in the Lord, I need to speak the truth in love. To make somebody comfortable in their sin is only to allow them to not deal with the fact that God's going to judge them. Jesus is rebuking him because he's trying to follow a different plan. Peter's trying to follow a different plan. Peter had a plan. I get to go to Jerusalem with Jesus. I get a throne, no pain, no suffering. Jesus had a plan. Now we got to go through the cross. Peter didn't like Jesus' plan. Have you ever said, I don't like Jesus' plan for me right now. I don't want to be this way. I don't want to go this way. This is just not the way I planned it. And so the Lord has to help me get through my confusion and bewilderment. I get stunned. There was another place Jesus gave one of his hard sayings and and most of his disciples left. And Jesus said, will you also leave? Peter said, where else am I going to go? Only you have the words of life. And there have been times, in all honesty, I have said, except that I have no other place to go, I'm just going to stick it out. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I just... I don't understand. If God would just listen to me, everything would be so much better. (laughs) But he has a different plan. And so he has to rebuke me and put me on a different path. And you know, I hate being told what to do. I just, I loathe it. You know those signs that say, wet paint, don't touch? I don't mind if it says wet paint. But once you put don't touch, I just want to. I mean, I was more obedient as a child when my parents would say, don't touch your brother, because then I'd say, I'm not touching you. But now that I'm older... Now, I've heard that there are some people who have problems with these signs they are all around Albuquerque. They've got a couple words and some numbers It says speed limit, and, and they try to tell you what to do. Have you seen people who don't like those signs? I've seen some of them out there. Not that any are in here. But I've seen those. I hate being told what to do. I hate it when Jesus' way is different than mine. It just, it irks me. But you know what? If I'm trying to go somewhere, and I'm driving, which means I get to be the pilot, and my wife is sitting shotgun, which means she's the co-pilot. See, you understand. Yeah, God gave me a helper because I get lost if I'm by myself. Well, I'm watching the street, and she's watching the addresses. If she were to say, well, do a U-turn, or in my wife's words, pull UE. because, you know, she's, well, okay. But anyway, she says, do a U-turn, you just drove past it. Am I going to get angry? Said, well... That's not my plan. My plan is to go straight down the snow. I'm going to say, nah, I have a goal. It's to get to a certain place. I have a destination. I want to be there. I'm going to do a U-turn. I'll be happy to accept correction. Now, as a believer, we have goals. My goal is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Is that yours? My destination is to go to heaven and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that your destination? So if someone is going to speak the truth in love and say, you missed your turn, shouldn't I be thankful? If I have to come up to a brother or sister in the Lord and say, you know, God's word says this, and you... Because God has allowed that, shouldn't they be thankful? Why is it that we hate being told what to do? When God's plan is different than yours, I've got three tests. Three tests to say, do I need to make a U-turn because I'm receiving rebuke from the Lord, or do I need to keep going? These are the three tests. The first is, check God's Word. Sometimes it's real plain. Let's see, Lord, should I... Should I spend this money on all of this bad, evil stuff that I shouldn't be involved in or not? That's not much of a question, is it? Sometimes this words very plain. But I have to ask myself this in the other areas. Am I believing God because of who he is? Or am I believing God for something? And if I'm believing God for something, I just might have to change my plan. If I'm believing him for a new this or a bigger that. If I'm believing him for a boyfriend or for a girlfriend or for a husband or for a wife or for a four by four Toyota or whatever I'm believing him for, I've missed the point. The second thing I need to check is God's nature. So he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. God isn't changing my plans up because he's mad at me. God's changing his plans up because he wants me to look like his son, Jesus Christ. So I have to check my attitude regarding God's nature. Am I angry with him for it? Well, whose problem is that? God's desire is to give you the kingdom. I check his word. I check his nature. And finally, I check whether or not I'm staying faithful. Am I going to take my ball and go home? Lord, I'm just not going to pray tonight, teach you. Or am I going to say, Lord, I'm going to continue to sow. Because in due season, I don't know when, I'm going to reap if I stay faithful. The year was 586 B.C. Babylon has conquered Judah. Judah. The Babylonian army had, for many months, surrounded this walled city, laying siege, meaning no food got in. Nothing comes in the city. Nothing comes out of the city. Starvation and disease had taken its toll. Many died. And now, in 586, the walls are breached. The, Babylon, the Babylonian army comes in. Many more, of course, are killed. It's a battle. And the survivors watch in horror as these soldiers loot everything worth taking and then set fire to whatever remains. Their lives disrupted. Their plans destroyed. And as they are shackled, being taken away to a foreign land, Jeremiah pens the famous words, I know the plans I have for you in the backdrop of the town burning down, everything that was of value taken. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. I have thoughts of good, not for evil, and plans to bring you a future and a hope. God speaks to us through the regularity with which he disrupts our plans. If he has disrupted your plans... Think of Jeremiah. It is to give you a better future and a better hope. Check his word. Trust his nature. And stay faithful. And in the words of Jude, unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to him the only wise God, be glory, dominion, power, and forever. Amen. Father, it's tough to be rebuked. I'm sure it shook Peter to the core to be called Satan by his Lord. I'm sure it just it just hurt him to see that Jesus' plan was so much different than his own. But I thank you, Lord, for putting these things in the scripture so that we could see what real lives are like when their worlds are disrupted. I thank you, Lord, that you patiently accepted his rebuke and that you still used him to do such great things. Lord, for us today, many of us here have had our plans disrupted. Many of us here have watched our trains fall off the track and have asked, what next, Lord, why did this happen? I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. I thank you, Lord, that the plans you have for us are still to give us a future and a hope. Teach us, Lord, that as you are faithful, that we would be faithful. Teach us, Lord, to know your ways, to seek your ways, and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.